This is the John Oakley Show podcast. Now, when it comes down to other major issues uh, confronting those stateside, certainly the Democrat debate tries to address some of those, uh, although it's been good theater in the last round, certainly out of Nevada. It was a bloodletting of sorts when Elizabeth Warren went after Mayor Mike Bloomberg uh, in his maiden and <laughs> seemed to have recovered somewhat last night, uh, turned the tables on her, at least from where I stood uh, watching this thing. But let's get an expert in on the matter and uh, unpack all of what took place. Aaron Call is a director of debate at the University of Michigan and editor, co-author of Debating the Donald. Aaron, good to have you back on The Oakley Show in Toronto. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Great to be back. Well, listen, last night's debate, uh, somewhat of a change from the previous one in Nevada last week, wasn't it? A little bit. Uh, Bernie Sanders was um, under attack last night. I think that it's very clear now that he's the front runner of the race. Um, he's expected to do well on Super Tuesday. He just won Nevada. So everybody really was out um, for him, which was the first time we've seen that. We've seen Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren, you mentioned Mike Bloomberg in the last debate, be the object uh, that everyone was attacking. But last night it was Bernie Sanders under fire for the first time. And I think he handled himself well. And this was Michael, Michael Bloomberg's second debate. And so there wasn't as much uh, pile on uh, with him, given that he had backtracked a little bit since that first debate. And uh, also, as you mentioned, he did a little bit better than the first time, um, given that it was the second debate. I think he knew what he was expecting, had some better answers prepared for likely lines of attack. And so definitely an improvement from the, the poor Nevada performance. Yeah, and seemed more poised in his delivery and confident, I guess, uh, as well, being prepared uh, more so than he was the last time, goes without saying. Joe Biden was a big question mark. This is where he staked his fortunes. Uh, the firewall in South Carolina was supposed to sort of, uh, I guess, rekindle his uh his campaign hopes, because uh, he's been dreadful in the first primary caucuses. So uh, as far as you're concerned, do you think he actually acquitted himself pretty well? I think so. I think it was one of his better debates. This was his 10th of the cycle, and he was certainly, uh, time was of the essence, and he was had a much more urgent uh, feel uh, that the, uh, this is very important, because I think if he doesn't win South Carolina, his campaign is likely over, and that did come through. Um, although he could have, I think, forced and interjected himself into the debate a little bit more. If you look at total speaking time of the a little bit over two-hour debate, he was only on, on camera for about 12 total minutes. He tried to get in uh, to some of the main uh, exchanges unsuccessfully, and so I think he could do a better job of that doing forward. But I think he did what he needed to do. Um, well, I think it will help him in South Carolina just today. He, this morning he got the endorsement of Jim Clyburn, the popular uh, congressman in South Carolina. A few new polls have come out, uh, recent polls showing he, his lead increasing in the state. So I do think he's on track to win that on Saturday. But the real question is, what's the margin of the victory? And will that propel him with some momentum heading into Super Tuesday, uh, which is very near uh, and coming up very soon? And that is really important uh, between him and mostly Bernie Sanders and Mike Bloomberg to see who gets the most delegates and who really has all the, the momentum heading into to March. Yeah, as you say, because uh, Bernie is nipping at his heels where uh, Biden was supposed to be the pro- prohibitive favorite in South Carolina. Uh, Bernie's uh, really uh, tightly in that race. By the way, uh, the format yesterday and the way they set things up on stage with the seven candidates, I guess it is, uh, in their pecking order, I guess Bernie is center stage because he's the odds-on favorite or the polls early on show him to be the favorite. That's the way they organize this? 
Yes, and it actually was the first debate uh, where Joe Biden was not in the center and to show how he's fallen nationally. But yeah, the way they organize it is by kind of an average of national polls, how they're doing. And in the most recent national polls, Sanders has opened up a double-digit lead, and Biden has slipped to somewhere second or third. Even some polls have him behind Bloomberg or Warren. And so he was uh, a little bit off the stage, which is not commonplace for him. And that could have also contributed to him not getting as much speaking time as some of the other candidates. Well, and Tom Steyer was almost an also-ran on the far right there. Uh, you know, it was... <laughs> But anyway, uh, the way this worked out now, it's kind of curious to me because Joe Biden, in trying to throw a Hail Mary, I I think uh, he promised he was going to nominate the first black woman to the Supreme Court. That got a round of applause in-house. But to me, from where I was watching, I mean, it sounded like shameless pandering. Am I wrong? Um, Well, it could be both. It could be shameless pandering and good politicking. Uh, It's. We first saw this, something like this, with President Trump in 2000 and the 16 campaign when he was running. He was the first kind of candidate to put out a list of conservative members of the Supreme Court that he would nominate. It was a list of 25 that he would choose from, and um, conservative groups were very happy with that and confident that he would support uh, and nominate someone that had conservative principles if he were to win. And a lot of people credited that with um, some Republicans voting for him that maybe weren't happy with him on other issues, but judges is such an important issue. And for the Democrats now that Trump has had, you know, three-plus years to um, do a lot of appointments of really conservative judges and flip a lot of our, our circuit courts and add new two new conservatives to the Supreme Court, then that's a very become a very important issue for Democrats as well. And there's never been uh, an African-American woman on the U.S. Supreme Court, so it would be historic. Um, President Obama could have tried that last time, but instead he chose a a moderate uh, Merrick Garland who never got his nomination heard because McConnell uh, held it up. And so, so no, I think it's probably smart. Uh, could help him in South Carolina, could help him in some future states, although that'd be a promise he'd have to deliver on. And it, it's important then if the Democrats win the presidency that they also take back the Senate, because if not, uh, Mitch McConnell could uh, would still be the leader and it would prevent any new nominee from coming forward, certainly someone uh, that had a more liberal record and that wasn't palatable to the, in the entire uh, Senate. Yeah, interesting. It was Pete Buttigieg who uh, actually brought up the importance of the down-ballot uh, races in the Senate and the House. But here... Uh, I found it interesting that the two women, uh, Elizabeth Warren and Amy Klobuchar, Amy had some uh, momentum, I guess, from a fairly good debate uh, in Nevada, but she, I don't know, was a non-entity as far as I was concerned. And Elizabeth Warren didn't seem to have the same impactful punch, certainly not when she teed off on Bloomberg uh, with much of the same attack uh, talking points, you know, on his uh, non-disclosure agreements and so on and so forth. Would you say those two women were two of the bigger losers last night? Yeah, I think that Amy Klobuchar's campaign is in real trouble. She didn't do well in Nevada, hasn't really um, kind of found her rapport with uh, diverse voters in a place like South Carolina. Uh, as we give this Super Tuesday, it's a lot more diverse in places like Iowa and New Hampshire. She did have a better performance probably than Nevada, but not as good as her peak at uh, in New Hampshire, which caused her to do real well there. You know, she is uh, in, the, in the same lane as Pete Buttigieg, and uh, Buttigieg, I think, is getting a little bit better than her recently. So it's tough, and she this may be her last debate. I don't think she's going to do well in South Carolina. She may win Minnesota on Super Tuesday, but that's it. So I don't know her longevity in this race. Elizabeth Warren, as you mentioned, she really used 
used Bloomberg in the last debate as a foil, and that was very helpful to her. Um, but she didn't have that same effect because he was better. He wasn't as rusty. And also, between, since the last debate, he also said that he would let three um, women out of their non-disclosure agreements. She didn't appear to know that or that that had changed since the first debate. And so some of those punches didn't land. I thought she needed to be a lot tougher against Bernie Sanders. They're in the same moderate lane, they're in the same progressive lane and appealing to the same voters. And um, she attacked him a little bit on, you know, maybe not be having a, an idea of how that his health care plan was going to get done and the fact that Bernie doesn't support the getting rid of the filibuster, but really laid gloves off in general. She may be holding out for being his vice president, um, not wanting to alienate his voters if she runs again. But I really think that she doesn't have a future unless she's willing to get tougher on Sanders in debates because they're really on the same lane. And I, I can't see a path to her being the nominee as long as Sanders continues to do so well and doesn't uh, get hit very hard in future debates. Well, yeah, she did admit yesterday quite openly that uh, they're pretty much singing off the same hymn sheet, only she gets stuff done, and he just talks about it. So that was as harsh as she got on Bernie. But where is Bernie vulnerable on his math uh, when it comes to the trillions of dollars? They say $50, $60 trillion. He seems to be all over the place with that or his support in a 60 Minutes interview on Sunday uh, for Castro or authoritarian regimes that get some stuff right is what he said. Uh, Is he vulnerable on those points? Yeah, I think um, healthcare probably most. That's an issue that's so important for both Democrats and the electorate. You know, he said last night, kind of flippantly, when asked to you know describe or pay for his, um, you know, how many hours you have, and you know, issues like that shouldn't be that complicated if you have you know kind of a, a plan. It should be something that can be at least in a simplified way explained. Um, and so, yes, there's he has a, a very bold agenda, but it's going to cost a lot of money, trillions of dollars that you know don't appear to be in the budget uh, right now. And so. Just like Elizabeth Warren um, was pressed earlier in the debate season about how she's going to pay for her Medicare for all, same thing. Sanders has the answer to that. But I think that's probably his big vulnerability. You know, there's certainly on the Fidel Castro and, and some of the other stuff, uh, There's that's an issue amongst older voters. That's going to hurt him, those that were around at, during that time and, and remember, uh, you know, kind of what happened in that regime. But his younger voters, you know, those under 30 or so, aren't as concerned with older foreign policy issues, um, just given their age and and, you know, no matter what happens, he has a really strong course constituency of voters like President Trump does that are not going to abandon him, you know, even if these things do come to light or are shown in a more negative sense. So he needs to keep his overall base. And he right now is winning states and, del- and a lot of delegates with only, you know, 25, 30 or so percent. And as long as there's still several moderate candidates that don't drop out and are splitting the vote amongst each other, then that, you know, third or so of Democratic voters is enough for him to be the presumptive nominee. It's interesting. Finally, I got to ask real fast because, I mean, uh, the way this thing worked, I know the moderators kind of lost control on occasion, but at the end they asked one of those Barbara Walters-like questions like, uh, what is the biggest misconception about you and what's your personal motto? Uh, Was that to personalize these people? I mean, it, it almost seemed awkward, didn't it? It did, and the uh, moderators in CBS have gotten a lot of flack about the debates, um, the not really controlling the candidates, allowing them to talk over how they ended the debate, both with those questions, and then said we have more debate coming up at the end, and it was basically just a commercial break, and there was no more content. So they, uh, I think CBS is one of the losers of the debate, although they did get about, I think, 17 million people tuned in for CBS is a huge rating and much greater than their normal content during that time. But, yeah, I think part of it is, it, it is CBS's first debate of, of the 10, so you have to cut them a little bit of slack. 
Um, and all these networks try to kind of one-up each other and come up with unique questions or things that haven't done before. So, you know, it's nice to try something like that, but I definitely do think it failed. We really didn't learn anything from those answers, um, and the, the time definitely could have been spent uh, better with more questions like immigration and climate change didn't come up. And so there's definitely still a lot of stuff that could have been discussed that wasn't. And instead, they did, you know, kind of a cute personal interest thing, which I, I think missed the mark. Yeah, unless it, you know, worked. I, I thought Biden, you know, uh, one misconception is that I actually have more hair than I do. I thought he was pretty funny on that and uh, whether or not that does count for much in terms of these uh, debates. However, Aaron, it's good to unpack. I appreciate your insights as we did last week uh, on this particular installment out of South Carolina. Do it again soon. Anytime. Take care. You got it. Aaron Call, Director of Debate at the University of Michigan, Editor, Co-Author of Debating the Donald. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio.